Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. And welcome into the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Of course, this is the second edition of the week here. So you already know what we're going to talk about, but we will get into it. And I can see someone in the back of Matt Sells at the Salesman is excited for what we're going to talk about in today's show. So Matt, I know there's a, a four-legged friend behind you who's pretty excited about what we got to talk about. But first, how is everything going for you? Uh, everything's pretty good. Yeah, there are three four-legged friends behind me, actually. You okay. can't see them, but there's a cat and two dogs. Because, um, you know, we got a menagerie of stuff going on in my house. Um, things are good. I decided to build a gate on 4th of July. Um, so I'm still sore from that two days later. Because turns out that, you know, lifting a hundred-something pound gate from the deck down to the fence... Makes me sore in my old age. So, <laughs> you know, and it was hot. It was like the hottest day ever in recorded history on Tuesday, apparently, according to the AP. So, great day to decide to build a deck, right? Hottest day in recorded history out there building a the gate. So, uh, other than that, things are good. Things are good. Little sad for the Angels. Little sad. Not a great day the other day for the Angels. Not a great day indeed, and that takes us right into the main topic we got to talk about here. Mike Trout injured the dreaded hamate bone in his wrist, undergoing surgery with, of course, a beautiful range of four to eight weeks. What a range. I mean, sure, yeah. let's encompass all things. Um, it's a wrist issue, basically. It's going to wreak some havoc. He may be healthy enough to play. It's going to take a little bit for him to get back full bore. So, I mean, what are we thinking here, Matt? So we can say if it's four weeks from here, we're talking early August. If it's eight weeks from here, July, August, we're talking like early September. You can't drop him because we don't know yet. We have a range. We can't do anything yet. He's going to clog a roster spot. So if you don't have IL spots or you're out of them, that's something you're going to have to look at, but we can't drop them yet. But what do you really foresee the rest of the way here with Trout? Right now, in terms of the injury and the range, we're all speculating when we actually think he'll return. All we have is this range. But, I mean, what do we make of this issue? It's definitely unfortunate, right? Um, he was having a pretty good year, pretty standard. Mike Trout, first-round pick, one of the greatest players ever a year. Um, it's definitely a blow to the Angels, who were competing for an AL wildcard spot. Um and a lot of people have stated that if the Angels don't, you know, aren't challenging for the playoffs, that Otani would be 
potentially on the move because he's a free agent, so you got to cash in when you can to get something in return if you aren't going to re-sign him. And I don't know how the Angels re-sign him, so we'll see what happens here. But in terms of fantasy for Trout, I, I would probably bet it's about six weeks. Uh, the problem is we've seen guys with handmade bone injuries come back and not have as much power as when they left because it's a wrist and power hitters need their wrists to generate the pitch. So we'll see, but you're not dropping them. You're holding them. If you have IL spots, great. And yes, whoever's in the IL spots probably getting dropped to hold trout, right? There's no, um, so we just got to grin and bear it right now. It does suck, but that same game, Otani left the mound with what turned out to be a blister. So at least that's not so bad. He won't be in the all-star game. Um, but then Rendon was on crutches after the game, too. Now, granted, he's not done a lot, but it's still a professional bat in that lineup uh, getting depth. So, boy, that's a that's a big blow for the Angels in one, in one game. And then looking at the Angels here, the obvious replacement for Trout, at least in terms of a, of a starting spot, is going to be Joe Adele, who may just be the greatest AAA hitter of all time. Yep. When you look at him this year, 72 games, 23 homers, 9 stolen bases, strikeout rate a little bit below 27%. Pretty good by his standards. And, I mean, what is Joe Adele worth anything more than a speculative ad? Because we've seen him come up all the potential in the world but I mean, last year across 88 games, he had a strikeout rate near 38% and only hit 224. And this year, in very limited sample, striking out a third of the time. I'm not going to hold that against him because it's you know, st- in terms of his total number of at bats, we're still we're not even on the third hand yet. And right. The sample size is so small, but we have a decent little runway here prior to this year, 161 games, so like a full season, striking out over a third of the time. So obviously, all the tools and potential are there for Adele. Is this the time that we're finally going to see it? I don't know. He's like the Angels version of Jared Kalenic, right? All of the tools in the world. Uh, when he was, when Adele was coming up as a prospect, he doesn't count as that anymore, obviously. Um, he had tools that were similar to Mike Trout. The Angels were getting super excited. They might have two five-tool outfielders in the middle of their lineup that could hit for power and speed and average and play defense and... Um, that hasn't panned out for Adele. I don't know why he looks phenomenal at AAA, and it's not like he plays in a um, park that. I mean, sure, it's the PCL and it's Salt Lake City, but it's not. You know, it's not Reno. It's not Albuquerque. It's not uh, El Paso, which are all known to be massive hitters' parks. So, uh, if you absolutely need depth at outfield, speculatively, Adam, but. If you're actually playing a guy that you're that you would drop for him, don't drop that guy for Adele. Just let somebody else try to figure it out. Yeah, if you're hurting, I think you can go ahead and take the swing because here's the thing: if you're at a point where you are considering adding Joe Adele, if he does come up and hits 220 with a 35 percent strikeout rate, he's not really hurting your team because if the fact that if you're considering picking him up to starting him over somebody means it's at least even money. Yeah, Yeah, it's at least even money, right? So. Yeah, if you're going to have a guy go 225 with 34% strikeout, it might as well be a guy who has talent and potential like Joe Adele instead of some other you know, fodder on your team that you could just drop with no problem. Exactly. That's been the argument for why you should roster Jared Kalenic for like four years now. 
of course. <laughs> and then let me I listen, I gotta do it, Matt. I, I don't know where you fall on this on the spectrum here in terms of this particular question, but I gotta I gotta ask the injury to trout. Yes. Latani's got his own little bit of issues here, but I'm not really worried about a blister and a cracked fingernail. It's that's a day's thing, if at all. And the breaks coming to so Yeah. <laughs> Anthony Rendon, he's hurt now. He'll play a couple games, may get hurt again. Does the injury to Trout do anything in your mind for Otani's chances of being dealt at the deadline? Listen, I just got I gotta ask. I, I, I gotta ask. So the deadline is August 1st. Right, they are still within striking distance of an AL wild card spot, if I'm not mistaken. Right, I can check the remind myself of the standings here, uh, real quick. Um, as far as I'm aware, yeah, they're. I mean, they're four games out. They got to leapfrog Boston and Toronto to get there, which is, by the way, impressive that Boston is still in that spot as much crap as they've taken this year. Um. I ultimately think that Otani is dealt because here's the thing. How do you afford Shohei Otani if you're the Angels? You have 300 something million dollars tied up in or or something like 30 million a year tied up in Rendon. Right? You have 400 million given to Trout if memory serves, right? Wasn't he the first one to crack the $400 million deal? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're still paying pool holes, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I think there was deferred money there for some reason. <laughs> um, so, like, you've got two dudes, right? Clearly, it's not working with the three of them together on the field at the same time. Otani, I saw a tweet. Yeah, the other day that a reporter asked a GM, a major league GM, uh, if 11 years, 550 would get the deal done for Otani. And he goes, the GM said that's way too low. So unless the Angels get a massive hometown discount of sorts, because obviously he's from Japan, but it's the only team he's played for. Are you really... Assuming that the Angels can afford to pay Trout and Rendon and Otani a combined $1.2 billion. And then, by the way, go fill out another 23 roster spots. Probably not. I mean, because here's the other thing, too, with Rendon. If we're just purely speculating, if they try to deal him, I don't know who would want to take on that deal. Right. I also don't know if he has a no trade clause or not. I don't remember the the details of when he signed. He signed obviously after the 2019 World Series. Um, there may be some deferred money in there, so he may not be getting paid. Like you know, like the Scherzer deal with the Nats was seven years, two ten, but it was actually over fourteen years. So they were really only paying him fifteen million a year for fourteen years rather than thirty for seven. So I don't know. If that's the case with uh, Rendon, Trout might have some, you know, might get funky with, with Trout's contract. But that seems like an awful lot of money to tie up for three dudes. And you have no farm system, basically. Um, haven't been all that great at drafting of late. So why not trade Otani for the last two months of the season and get 
I mean, you're not going to get a Soto deal, I don't think. But you could get five, four or five high-level prospects for a team that needs an ace-caliber starter and the best hitter in baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah. And when you look at it, Rendo... Okay, here's a, sneaky, here's a sneaky team I was just thinking about the other day. I think the Orioles have prospects that they could give up to go get Shohei Otani. They do have prospects, and Rendon has a full no-trade clause, and after this year, he bumps up to a base salary of 38 mil for the next four years in his age 34, 35, and 36 seasons. Kind of love those Scott Boris contract. So they are not going to be able to move him, at least very no. easily, or they're going to have to swallow the majority of it. That's just what's going to have to happen. Yeah, it's going to be like a like an Arenado thing where you're just dumping the funds, yep. right? Absolutely. And you kind of just mentioned it with Baltimore and prospects. So Matt, it's a perfect segue into down on the farm with Matt sells at the salesman on Twitter does a great job with the prospect report over at fantasyalarm.com. So make sure you are checking that out. But in Baltimore, Colton Kowser is just the latest Baltimore prospect to come up and join the team in the bigs. It seems like they are finally all those years of stinking on purpose or not on purpose, however you want to look at it, are starting to pay off with all of the dudes that they have now brought up. Kowser is the most recent one. So he's been a popular name in the Discord at Fantasy Alarm about whether to add him or not because he's the shiny new toy on the market. What can fantasy managers expect here from Colton Kowser in 2023 and then beyond? Um, a very, very good toolsy outfielder, right? So if you look at his grades, basically everything is above average for him, which, you know, we all are looking for the plus stuff, but if you have five tools that are above average, that's eh, a pretty good player. And we're, when we're talking about above average, what are we meaning? Um, I would say above average, he's probably going to produce about a 280 batting average. Power is about 25 homers a year, 25, 28 homers a year. Speed, uh... It's hard to gauge with the new with the new base running rules, right? The bigger bases, the, the only checking twice. Um, but I would say in general, his his speed grade probably produces about 25 steals a year. So you're talking about a 25-25 outfielder uh, playing in the AL East. And, uh, you know, he played 226 games in the minors combined okay and in that time in the minors he hit 31 homers and had 32 steals 140 rbi 198 runs and a 305 average so the average will drop a little bit but that basically tells you he's about a 25 25 guy in the middle of an order um so i would go at him if you are in dynasty or keeper leagues and he's still somehow available you need to go pick him up I couldn't agree more as a fellow CC alliteration with the first and last name. I couldn't agree more, and I'm very high on him as well. Another another guy to talk about here for the Oakland Athletics in the in the minors. This was a guy coming into the year I was admittedly kind of high on. Yeah, I was pretty sure he was going to be on the Major League roster. And, well, it... Maybe hasn't quite happened yet. I do believe it's it is. Well, let me just go like this: Tyler Soderstrom. Yes. Over his last ninety-six at bats, ten home runs. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. One at one homer every nine point six at bats. That's a pretty good rate. What do we do with the thirty strikeouts? 
you, I don't know. You can't <laughs> it. I think I think you're right. I, I think you have to. And when you look at it too, since the calendar's flipped to June, behind the dish, Oakland's getting the sixth lowest OPS in baseball. Like there's no production from that position. And yep. Shea Langoliers is a guy who he himself is not, you know, prone to strikeouts. Like he yeah, strikes so out. it's it's becoming a thing where if the Braves are going to give you a prospect, they probably know he's not going to pan out, right? Because they had Langoliers and they dealt him to get Sean Murphy. And they had Joey Wentz, who they gave to the Tigers to go get the the um, closer they got a couple years ago, and that guy hasn't panned out, right? And they had some other dudes that they've given up that haven't done anything. So basically, MLB GMs have to pay attention, and when the Braves want to give you a prospect, just say no, because <laughs> they're keeping the dudes they know are going to be good and then getting rid of the guys who aren't doing anything. Um, same thing with Kobe Allard, right? They gave him up to the, what, the Rangers a couple years ago. Mm. Um, he hasn't done anything either. Back to Soderstrom, though. So here's the thing with the strikeouts. If there's production and he's striking out, I don't care about strikeouts. Right. Okay. So he's played 259 games in the minors, Soderstrom has. He has 287 strikeouts. That's not ideal, right? He had 145 strikeouts in 134 games. Last year, he's got 81 in 68 games. This year, that sounds bad. But over the same span of games that we just stated he has the 287 Ks, he's still hitting 272. Mm-hmm. And he still now has – now he's up to 20 homers this year. But he's got 61 homers – in 259 games, so 61 homers in basically, what, a season and a half? He's producing, so I, I, the strikeouts don't really make a difference to me. If, if they make a difference to the A's, then he's never coming up. For sure, and it's one of those things, I mean, Oakland could probably just look to maybe, if they do want to leave Langoliers behind the dish, I mean, good pop time framing percentile isn't very good. I mean, Soderstrom plays first pretty well. So Yeah. And, I mean, they can move him around. Like, I don't think there's anybody in that offense. I mean, I understand Ryan Noda has had some spurts this season. And, I mean, Seth Brown, you're in it for the home runs or strikeouts. But, I mean, Soderstrom's good. Like, at the very least, let him play first. And then if you still want Langliers to primarily catch, just let, you know, throw Soderstrom back there every day where Langliers need to break. Like, who's their backup catcher? Is it still Manny Pena? That's an excellent question. Well, okay. Uh, then, regardless, that's my point. Like, Bring him up, let him sit on the bench, or let him play first or DH, and then when Langoliers doesn't catch that day, go ahead and put it, you know, let him catch that day. And uh, Manny Pena is off the yes. IL, so it looks like he's back as they're, like, you you yep. should not be letting the 36-year-old Manny Pena keep you from leaving Tyler Soderstrom on the monitors. Let him first base, DH, and then he'll catch every fifth day when Langoliers needs his rest, or every fourth day, whatever kind of cadence they have him on. That's what they need to do. Yeah. But it's the Oakland. Only two dudes who are locked into that lineup right now are Estuary Ruiz because he's stealing everything in sight and Seth Brown because he's he's at least producing power. Yeah. And I'm okay leaving Ryan Noda in there. Like, I'm yeah. cool with him being like that next tier. But after that, like, I, there's, there's not a single else. dude we're fighting for. In yeah. That. Brent, Brent Rooker, that was fun for those couple of weeks. Yeah. The post, 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 post hype guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it is over for him now. And then the last, the last uh, down on the farm segment we did, we talked a little bit about Colt Keith and I'm, I just want to bring his name back up, Matt. I got to do it. 
promoted to AAA, hitting 440 with a 720 slug, two homers and one stolen base in seven games. So let me ask you, because I believe the last time we talked, you said 2024 was when we would see Colt Keith. Are we sure we won't see him at all in 2023? The promotion we weren't expecting, to be fair. I mean, we knew it would happen before the season's end, but maybe not quite as soon as it had happened. Yeah, they definitely jumped him to AAA a little sooner than I thought they would. Not that he didn't deserve it. He did. I've talked about him, what, three three times now, and I wrote him up in the prospect report. Um, there's a chance, I guess, the old September call-up thing happens, but remember, September rosters are only 28 dudes. They're not like 40-man rosters where you get – free MLB time for every prospect in your minor league system, right? So um, I, I don't know. Granted, it is a very good start at AAA for sure. However, one thing to keep in mind with AAA schedules now is that they play the same team for an entire week, mm-hmm. right? So they show up, they play road series for like six games, like usually Tuesday through Sunday. Then they travel Monday to either their next road series or a home series. They play that same team for the next six games. And then it was the way to, to cut down travel costs and, and whatnot. So if he played all of those games against the same team, there's a shot that he saw the same relievers a few times, and that helped the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he comes up this year. I think they give him basically a half a season at AAA and then let him fight for a roster spot in spring training next year. It, I do think that it shortens the time in the minors next year, right? I think there's a shot he breaks camp with the team next year, but there's zero reason for the Tigers to call him up now. Just It's a lost season. Um, I frankly enjoy watching A.J. Hinch have to struggle in Detroit. Uh- <laughs> and with... With Colt Keith, I, I probably I, I agree. It's probably not going to happen this year. But for what it's worth, Detroit is the fourth lowest team OPS from second base this season in the league. Worst mark at third base. But again, it's a lost season. There's no point to start his clock. And uh, next week, right. we'll record uh, the first edition of next week's podcast on Monday. We're going to do an hour episode instead of our normal half hour because we're going to talk about the first round of the draft. Let Matt break it down. So, Matt, a little preview for that. I don't even need much analysis here. This is just a simple take your pick here for the first two picks. Are we getting Skeens and Cruz? Cruz, then Skeens, or is it going to be another pairing at the top of the draft? Because there's a lot of stuff going around right now that Pittsburgh's going to go below slot to try to save money for a later spot. So what do you what do you think ends up happening one, two? So uh, this is an interesting question, Colby, because you are a Pirates fan mm-hmm. who have the number one pick. Right. And I am a Nationals fan who have the number two pick. And last year, your Pirates stole Tamar Johnson from my Nats, who I really, really wanted. I mean, I like Elijah Green. He's kind of a hit or miss guy if he can figure out how to hit a baseball. Um, so personally, I would enjoy anything that allows the Nats to take Paul Skeens at number two. <laughs> if, if that means the Pirates take Dylan Cruz or they take um, maybe a high school kid um, who you might get a little cheaper maybe. Although I would think that a college kid would take less money to buy out of a commitment than a high school kid, but whatever gives the Nats Paul Skeens at number two is what I'm happy with. Cause that's, <laughs> that's who I really want. Fair enough. And over at fancyalarm.com, check out Matt's 
prospect rankings. And then, of course, next week we'll be breaking down the first round rounds of the draft just to kind of see what goes down and talk about it there. So, Matt, just a quick little segment here. I want to talk a little bit about the All-Star game with the Home Run Derby coming up. We got the brackets announced. So let me just ask you kind of first things first. Anybody that you have on your fantasy team, if you know that they're competing in the Home Run Derby, are you worried about their production in the second half? Like this kind of seems like the the Madden curse that's kind of been debunked a little bit in recent years. So are you are you wary of when you when you see your players get in the Home Run Derby? Are you like, crap, maybe it's time to look to deal these guys? Or do you think that's just that's just folklore? It's a narrative. Uh, I used to be concerned, but the last few years, I think it's been um, a little different. I'm not as concerned now as I was previously. Also, if your guy has had a uh, little worse first half, but still made the home run derby, I actually like it as a way to find the stroke. Um, We've seen Juan Soto do this in previous years. The year that he won the home run derby, it actually propelled him to a bigger second half because um, he found his stroke that he was he was missing. So I'm not as concerned uh, as I used to be now. Yep. And then, so we've gotten the, we've gotten the matchups here. So I'm looking at them over here. Luis Robert versus Adley Rushman, Pete Alonzo, Julio, Mookie Betts, Vladdy Jr. And then Adolis Garcia and Randy Arena. So Matt, two part question. What is your favorite first round matchup and who do you think takes down the Derby? I think it's the four five, the battle of the Cubans between Adol- uh, Adolis Garcia and Randy Arena. Um, both of those guys can hit, can get very hot and hit bombs, uh, like real big homers. Um, and the flare coming from that matchup, I feel like is going to be fantastic. So I'm going to go with the four five. That's my favorite first round, uh, matchup as for who I think wins it. Uh, you know what? We'll give it to we'll, we'll give it to Luis Robert because the White Sox have to win something this year, right? In theory, Luis Robert is the one seed, and right now over at DraftKings has the third best odds to win the Derby at plus four seventy five. As we're recording this on Thursday morning, for me, I love the two seven matchup: Julio Rodriguez versus, or I guess the homeboy here in this matchup, with it being in Seattle, as well as Pete Alonso. Both these guys are established Derby dudes, uh, so I like them. I if Alonzo was facing anybody except Julio in the first round, I would definitively state I know he's got the best odds, but that's my pick to win it. If he can get out of the two seven matchup, it's his to lose. So I would me, agree. Give me Pete the polar bear Alonzo. And Matt, with this being the second edition of the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball podcast this week, weekend streamers, waiver wire preview. So I'll go ahead and kick it off. Yanier Diaz needs to be owned across the board. Few catchers are putting up the numbers that he's been putting up of late. Absolute offensive powerhouse 655 slug with three home runs over the last week and he's got a barrel rate near 15 percent for the season and he mashes right-handed pitching so he's going to be in the lineup there more often than not and lately he's been playing every day whether it's behind the dish or the dh and he's even moved up to the fifth spot in recent games so give me yanier diaz as the guy i'm watching on the waiver wire whom is it for you so i will go with a pitcher um we all need you know, just depth of pitching doesn't have to be sexy or whatever. Uh, Josh Spores from Texas. He's a reliever that's getting a pretty nice amount of workload. He's got 36 innings this year, a three and a quarter ERA, a sub one whip, which is always nice to see from a reliever. He's got 49 Ks in those 36 innings, so he's striking out well over a dude per inning. Um, 
He's got four wins and nine holds, so he's getting you a little bit of everything. Doesn't really have the saves. Just be cautious, though. Uh, when he pitches back-to-back days, his ERA in the second game without a day of rest is 16.88. His prior 12 appearances before pitching back-to-back, his ERA was 0.49. So just be cautious there. But he's only owned in like 30% of Fantrax leagues. He's a dude that can just help you and not kill your ratios and help you with strikeouts and wins and holds. Yep, that will do. I like him as well. And then let's talk about a weekend streamer. I am going to, I guess I'm going back to Houston, I guess I should say, with Brandon Belak, 273 ERA at home this year, and he's coming off his best outing of the year. Seven shutout innings against Colorado. I hate the four walks, but it is what it is at that point. Seattle strikes out a ton, and when you look at Belak's numbers, really his fatal flaw is that he can't get left-handed hitters out, but his matchup is against Seattle. And guess what? Seattle doesn't have a ton of left-handed hitters. And the ones they do are all-or-nothing guys. So I like Belak a good bit. He's the streamer that I am looking at, and I was trying to pull up Fantrax to see what his his ownership percentage was, but I will get back to you on that one. Matt, who is your streamer? Mine, we're going up I-35 from Texas to Kansas City. We're streaming Daniel Lynch, the lefty from the Royals. Um, You know, Royals get forgotten about, right? Lynch in his last three outings has gone 18 innings, only given up four earned runs. That's a pretty handy 2-0 ERA. Uh, He's striking out a pretty decent amount of dudes, not giving up that much contact or uh, walks. He's also now facing Cleveland in Friday's game. Cleveland ranks bottom five in basically every offensive category against left-handed pitchers. Uh, They're not good. They're not hitting for power against them. So we're going to go with Daniel Lynch against Cleveland on Friday. You'll see Lynch on Friday. Belak gets the Mariners on July 9th, which is Sunday, and he is owned in 13% of Fantrax League. So check out Belak and Daniel Lynch if you need some weekend streamers. Josh Spores and Yanni Diaz as guys on the waiver wire that you should be picking up. And head over to FantasyAlarm.com. Promo code ALARM50 for 50% off six months of all access. Also get you access to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Draft Guide. So make sure you check that out and all the great content over at FantasyAlarm.com. Give Matt Sells a follow at The Sells Man. I'm on Twitter at Colby R. Conway. And again, we'll see you next week for a one-hour edition on Monday breaking down the MLB draft on the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.